This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree. If you're working on a mobile app and searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. To learn more, and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com slash supertrain and buy Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code supertrain at checkout to get 10% off Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. <clears throat> How's it going? Good. Uh, there was a storm up here in uh, Washington, and I f- left my office windows open a crack, Ew. and the storm opened them up all the way and filled what? the room with storm. Oh, no. They uh, breached your perimeter. Yeah. So everything is covered with a fine layer of ash and uh, amazingly, like, the ceiling is suddenly peeling. I don't know how it got up to the ceiling. You sure this isn't a dream? And uh, the curtains were all skew and it was very exciting to because I saw when I pulled up I saw that the windows were all the way open and I was like who's been in my office opening the windows and then I came in and I was like oh the storm was in my office it's a non rain storm it was a wind storm yeah we get those in the northwest quite quite a bit uh, when the seasons change we get a big wind storm and uh, the, it, they are accompanied by rain often and and this one was but but my sense is. That it's mostly wind that got in here and and uh, did its dirty business. Oh my gosh! And that's ash from all the fires, huh? Who knows where, where the where the, the the thin coating of greasy ash came from? But yeah, so it's like living in a bong. It's, it's like so <laughs> so like living in a bong. <laughs> Your except, office has resin, dude. Yeah, except there's no like uh, there's no water bug. Where's the carb? Where is the carb? Where is the carb, John? I told you the story, right, about the friend of mine from Florida that that uh, woke up and took a big hit off his bong, and then realized that that a a water bug had been hanging oh, out in his bong geez. and was now in his mouth. A oh. big one of those flying Florida cockroaches that's oh. the size of a tennis shoe. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're just like, oh, I'm gonna wake and bake. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Dude. Was it was was it alive when it entered? Oh, dude, it was so alive, and oh, it was probably dude. so high from living in a bong. Dude, that must have harshed his mellow. Dude, he was just chilling in his bong, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh no, I'm in a <laughs> mouth! Oh, <laughs> oh my god, it's totally in your mouth! Oh, get me out of here! Uh, oh fuck! Do you do you need to do any kind of uh, I don't know, like like reclamation damage control? What do you what do you do? You just scrape it off? Uh, your stuff what do you do uh, so i cleared a little area right here for my elbow <laughs> uh, are you wearing are you wearing a blazer right now no i'm not today you know in fact i've already i've already encountered one person today who made a comment uh my good friend jason finn <laughs> saw me and he said so uh <laughs> you've just let yourself go to shit now you don't. You're not even wearing a button button-up shirt. You're Once t-shirt. a supporter, always a supporter. <laughs> no blazer, no no tie. Now you're just in a t-shirt and jeans. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Season's changing. Mm-hmm. I got nobody to impress anymore. I Mm-mm. took a shower today. 
the only reason I took a shower is that my family, including my darling daughter, had started to comment that daddy smelled funny. Oh. Because I had just let myself just go to hell over the weekend. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll take a shower. I'm not above it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to put, I'm not, you know, I'm wearing white socks today. I'm not, I'm not dressing up for anybody anymore. Well, it's, it's not Labor Day yet. True. That's right. You can still wear white socks. John, is that I, the only? I feel like there's. you've got Memorial Day and Labor Day, and yeah. those sort of bookend the it's okay to wear informal clothes and white shoes. Are there other days in the year that change what you're allowed to wear? Hmm. Good point. Or good question. I think that there are. there's a limited number of time, num- limited number of weeks in the year that you can wear any item of clothing that has a wreath or a reindeer on it. <laughs> Right. So if you start if you start doing that before I mean personally I feel like Thanksgiving is is the day before which you should not wear or have anything to do with a reindeer. It's going to seem like the washer broke. Yeah, right, exactly. If it, it's a that's a laundry day type apparel. I feel like if it's before Thanksgiving and a reindeer comes up to you on the street and tells you that his fan belt broke and his wife and daughter are waiting in the car around the block and all he needs is five dollars you tell him to fuck off before before thanksgiving after thanksgiving you go yeah okay i'll uh, i'll buy i'll yeah, bite i'll bite on part, this story. part of the holiday spirit yeah help a reindeer out uh so that's that's one thing definitely i feel like you know i was thinking about this the other day in my mind's eye on September 1st, the year, and I don't mean the calendar, I mean the year, as the year occupies physical space, the year takes a right turn, a, a, a 90 degree right turn, hmm. September 1st. And the implication of that right turn in my mind's eye is that the year is square and that every four months it takes another right turn. Hmm. But that is not actually how the year is built. That would be a rectangular year? Well, no, I mean, four... Oh, I'm sorry, every three years. Every three years, it would take a right turn. Oh. I'm sorry, every three months. What am I talking about? Every three months... You are so high right now. (laughs) I'm pretty high. September, October, November, December. So it's the last third of the year. It's like you turn the corner on a triangle. Is that right? Well, so... But here's the problem. There's definitely a right angle turn September for from August August you're headed along in an east west direction and then September 1st you take a right hand turn 90 degree turn and now you are headed in my mind's eye you are headed south into fall mm-hmm. and then you get and you're headed south into fall and and you know and maybe a little bit downhill but then sort of after Thanksgiving you start to go uphill and then Christmas is there. And then at New Year's, you definitely take another 90-degree right-hand turn, now headed west into the new year. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then somewhere in January, February, you start to edge to the right. You're not taking a right-hand turn, but you're edging right. You're mm. you're veering right into March, April, and that's kind of a rounded turn, mm-hmm. where you're headed, you know, you're headed north again, but in a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bumpy the ride, but definitely by 
by May, you're headed north. You're headed in a northerly direction. And then in June, there's a kind of an, it's not a, it's not a gradual turn. It's an angled turn. Into kind, of, kind of like an obtuse turn? Like an obtuse turn. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice, easy turn. You're definitely headed north at this point, but you're headed in a kind of at an angle so that when you get to July again, you have to, you have to like comp the rest of that turn if you're going to make it to that, if you're going to make it back to September. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So July and August are headed, I think, kind of in a, I mean, through a series of, of minor turns, they have to end up headed back east. But it's very funny that the spring and summer is a series of gradual angled turns, whereas fall and winter are, are defined by these two right-angled turns. Mm. I, I should have been drawing this instead of just strictly listening. Yeah, I, it's, com- it's complicated. Maybe somebody could draw that up for us. And I feel like somewhere in the February, shape, the shape, March... The shape of the year. The shape of the year. I feel in February and March there might actually be turns that are kind of back to the west a little bit. Like, it's not, it's not clear that it's always rounding back to September. Some of that, some of those weeks, like right around, especially around a leap year, you know, you're going uphill and to the west. <laughs> I think you just added a third dimension. You know, before you're like, before you level off and head, you're sort of headed down and to the north back into spring. Mm-hmm. So there are several days in there where I, I feel like costume changes are maybe not mandatory, but, but certainly new things come into play. Like I'm wearing a tweed hat today <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> looks good on you. <laughs> I feel like that is pushing it for, for August 31st. Does that seem more like a, like a, like, like fall headgear? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a tweed hat is, is uh, you shouldn't even wear it in September. I feel like it's an October, November, December thing. Yep, yep. But then in by December you should be you should be transitioning into a kind of a fur hat or a knit hat. Mm-hmm. And then in the spring, you're you're going back you're, gradually as time goes on from from knit caps to kind of you know to to whimsical hats. <laughs> Like like an arrow through the head type thing. Well, no, I mean I do have a baseball hat that has moose antlers on. Oh, I wanted one of those so much when I was in like seventh grade, and that's when I got it, and I've been wearing it ever since. <laughs> uh, but you know, like you, that's when you start to wear your chapeau, mm-hmm. your various chapeau, your newsboy cap, and your and your uh, you know your felt fedora type hats. Jo- mm-hmm. Something jaunty in the spring, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then in the and then in late spring you can br- you can bust out the baseball hats. I mean, all that stuff is it's it's really seasoned to taste. Though. I know this is not on the list for John's next project, which we should talk about at some point. Oh. But um, I I see I see possibly a, a thin volume John on fashion. All aspects of fashion, not just men's clothes, but mm-hmm. but fashion as as the uh, as the elephant in the cultural room. Mm, fashion versus style, fashion mm-hmm, versus preference. Yes, yeah. Right. There's all kinds of there's little shades. I, I went to uh, I went to the junkyard today. I had a very you had a busy day. day. I woke up this morning. I put the baby in the bath. <laughs> then I made her some uh, bagels, and then I put her on an airplane to Paris. 
<laughs> then I went to the... Au revoir. Au revoir. Here's how you say, here's how you say thank you. Merci. You can say merci bien or merci beaucoup, depending on, you know, how, how funny you want to sound. Then I left the airport. I went immediately to the junkyard. I spent an hour at the junkyard. And I, and I honestly felt like, you know, I could, just have, I could just do a TV show of just me wandering around a junkyard because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> I think people would watch that. There's so much at a junkyard. Are, are most of your remarks about the things that are in the junkyard or just you're thinking about life? Well, the thing is, if you can walk around a junkyard and not think about life, I'll put in with you. (laughs) (coughs) This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by pointing your web browser at squarespace.com. As many of you know, I have been a huge fan and evangelist of Squarespace for many years now. It's not only the place that I use for hosting many of my own sites and, yes, my own podcasts. It's also the first place I recommend for anyone wanting to do the same. Squarespace sites are professionally designed masterpieces that look great right out of the box, regardless of your skill level. There's zero coding nerdery required, and they offer intuitive and easy-to-use tools that take all the pain out of getting your stuff up. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site. That ensures security and stability, even if you get a link from Roderick on the line. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world... The nutty part is that Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $8 per month. And that price even includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you should totally do. Please check Squarespace out and tell your friends about it. You can start your free trial site today with no credit card required by visiting squarespace.com. And when you're ready to buy, make sure to use that very special offer code SUPERTRAIN and you will get 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. Squarespace, build it beautiful. <laughs> I feel like definitely. It's because you're surrounded by it. Yes, that's right. It's that's like when right. somebody dies or something. You're bound to think about life, right? I, you know, if you uh, so you can comment. You can comment all day on the stuff that's in a junkyard, but. You know, cars are very personal. They're very personal for people. And you know, cars... oh, I, I I forget how personal it is for people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have to tell my daughter, like, when she, you know, you know how kids, they walk around, and they walk real slow and touch everything? Yeah. And I always have to remind her, like, don't touch somebody's car. She's telling me about her day. She's walking along. And then she starts, she starts kind of, like, handling the logo on the car. And I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. Like, somebody, in some places, somebody see, sees you, like, handling their Mercedes logo. You do not want to get that person. You, don't, you do not want to provoke somebody with a That's bits. right. Don't, even, even if you're walking along absentmindedly just drawing one figure along the side of a car, somebody's going to be mad about it. Yep. So walking around a junkyard, you're looking at, you know, there's 10,000 stories in the naked city, and mm. every one of them ends up in a junkyard. Uh, but also, it's the, <laughs> I think about that a lot with the coroner. The, oh, every, time, yeah. every time I see a bad tattoo... I sometimes I'll actually say it to my kids. You see that? You see that? Someday a coroner is going to have to kind of draw that in a notebook. Yeah. <laughs> Someday that person's going to be dead, and they're going to have to draw that tattoo for the record. Yeah. The last, uh, or, the last or describe person, it. <laughs> the last person that's going to see it and really appreciate it is the is the there's the guy at the crematorium that's uh, that's making like eighteen dollars an hour, <laughs> pushing stiffs into the furnace. Appears to be in German black letter Gothic. Uh, and I, I think it probably originally said j- trunk full of junk. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sure that they just have. I'm sure they have just a, a, a picture book of tattoos, and you just circle the one it is. It's like, uh, oh, a symbol for Shanti on the back of her neck. Circle. Uh, Kanji symbol for regret. Looks like Winnie the Pooh flying a yin yang kite. Uh, circle. So anyway, you're in so, the you're so in the, the junkyard, junk but also yeah. the junkyard is the story of 20th century industrialism, right? It's a, I mean, there there were cars there that I mean, you don't see a lot of cars from the 30s anymore in a junkyard, but you definitely see them from the 40s and 50s if you're lucky, and then all they're full of cars from the 70s and 80s, and uh, and just that all the, all the stories that are, but then then your mind starts to wander and you're thinking about oh life and times and the wars and you know and herman goering <laughs> and then pretty soon you're thinking about dim sum mm. and it's getting late in the day and what is a what do you have to do how 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 do you have to get out of here on the way out of the junkyard I'm talking to the guy behind the counter who calls. He's calling me boss. He calls me boss. Oh, nice. Which is really nice. I like I, boss. I feel like getting called boss by the guy at the junkyard is exactly right. And he's got. He's not suffering fools. He because first of all, he sees the guy working at the junkyard sees more fools per capita than anybody uh, aside from like um, a reporter for uh, Entertainment Tonight at the VMAs. Right, they're going to see a lot of fools. But the guy at the junkyard sees a different kind of fool. I'm, I'm talking to him. And, I, and, I, and he looks over my shoulder at somebody coming through the front door. And he says, hey, buddy. Hey, uh, you know, put, uh, you got you to put that back. Don't just leave it. And so I turn around. And the guy had walked in the door. And somehow something, had, something in the door jam had fallen down the pneumatic door closer and the guy had walked the guy walked in and he's wearing a a baseball hat that's camouflage and it has a deer on it and he just he'd seen it and the guy behind the counter had seen him see it and he just kept going and so he's disciplining him the the counterman is disciplining the guy and he's like you gotta you know like fix that you don't just walk in and leave it so the guy goes back and he starts to try and fix it fix the door and I'm in the middle of asking the counterman a question. So I, I figure, okay, the guy's fixing the door now. Now, I, now it's my turn. So I say, so anyway, is it possible that... But the counterman isn't paying attention to me anymore. He's focused on the door. And he says to the guy, hey, hey, pal, you're making it more, more complicated than it needs to be. You just gotta... And at that point... A second guy walking in the door stops and starts helping the camouflage baseball hat guy fix the door jam. But I can see that the two of them together have now made it a hundred times worse. Now the entire top of the door is loose. And, and the junkyard guy, he's not going to go out and do it himself on principle? <clears throat> on principle, he's not going to. Mm -hmm. so, so then he says... So then he's getting, and I'm looking at the junkyard guy, and I'm thinking, okay, my job right now is graceful exit. Because I've already, asked, I've already started to ask the counterman my final question twice. And two times, I haven't made it all the way to the end of the question. And now the door is falling apart. And I just want out of here. 
but I can't get out of here because the, these guys are, are, have got the door blocked. And it's like literally now that it's falling down around them. So I can't leave, but I'm not going to stand here and repeat my question a third time. And I'm not going to put myself over to the side and wait in a inchoate line for the, for the attention to go back to me. Because when it finally does, there's going to be six guys in the room. And they're all going to turn to me and go, now what was your fucking question? And my question is, does not rate that amount of attention, right? I'm at the junkyard. There are guys here that are rebuilding four-barrel carburetors. That's not what I'm doing. Now I just want out. And so I start to make my way to the door, at which point the camouflage baseball hat guy and his and completely unrelated dude who's in like a camel jacket, the entire top of the door frame falls, starts to fall. <laughs> just falls completely. I don't know how they did it. And the counterman is like, Oh my, you know, he's like, you guys, come on. And at a certain moment, the one, the camouflage baseball hat guy is holding up the, holding up one side of the frame and kind of leaning back and looking at it with his head. And the other guy is on the other side of the door holding up the frame and they make a perfect, like, uh, like a, like a perfect Moorish arch. One hand up here, the guy's, at back is arched. The other guy's back is arched. The, the door is falling down, and I just make for the gap. <laughs> and I, as, I'm, as I leave, I turn, and I, I point at the counterman, and I say, <laughs> I'll catch you later. And poof, right through, and right as, I make, as, right as I make it through the gap, it's like the Millennium Falcon going out of the, leaving the worm's mouth in the asteroid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The whole door <gasps> just completely comes apart, and these guys are juggling parts, and they're bumping into each other, and it's a, just it's a catastrophe. And I just barely made it out. Um, and I, for all I know, there's a half a dozen guys still stuck in that auto parts store because nobody knows nobody knows how to leave. You got the last chopper out of Saigon. You know what? I fucking did. Mm. And. Uh, I'm grateful. You know, I'm grateful. And, and part of that is I surveyed the situation. I knew going in whatever the conversation I was going to have with that counter guy could at any moment be interrupted by somebody who needed, who was like a serious wrench turning guy who had a serious question. I didn't foresee that the, that the portal would be closing mm-hmm. so fast. Mm. So uh, this day has had a lot of adventure already. And then I went to, to the dim summit well, hang on. So uh, pretty much everything I know about junkyards comes from like a scene in Slacker. The, right. I, I, I used to think a junkyard was like a, a dump. I thought it was a place when I was a kid. I thought, oh, junkyard, that's a place where you take an old car that's dead and it goes and lives there. And it's like, it's like, it's like automobile heaven, right? But right. Slacker helped me understand that there's a reason for junkyards, which is you go there and you get parts from your model car in the junkyard to put in your own car. Is that how a junkyard works? Is that correct? That is one of the things that you can do at a junkyard, yes. That's a very good idea. It's a great idea. And back in the old days, when cars were things that normal people could work on, and they had you know, more or less interchangeable parts, a lot of them, like if you had a Chevy, 
as my mom would say. My mom is teaching my daughter to say shivy. Oh, that's that's you got to stop that. Instead, well, I can't. I mean, it's part she's, of her. She's very strong-willed, John. It's part of her vernacular, and mm. I don't. She doesn't. It's not like she's. It's not like she's correcting uh, her when she when she says Chevy. It's just that my mom pronounces it Chevy. I've never never heard that Chevys. I've never heard Chevy. Is that a, so, is that, a, is that an Ohio thing? Must be mm. some. It's a Western Ohio thing. <clears throat> and so she say. So my my kid has started to. Because she likes to call out all the different kinds of cars she sees. She can on the identify way. cars. She knows every kind of car. She knows every kind of nut, and she knows every kind of car. <laughs> and uh, he's be I can name every kind of nut. <laughs> and so she, she, we're driving down the street, and one of the games she likes to play is, you know, Nissan, Toyota, Ford, Ford, Chevy. And I'm like, Chevy, oh, my God, I've been hearing that my whole life. And now my kid is saying it, Chevy. But it used to be you could go to the junkyard, and if you had a Chevy, you knew that you'd, just, you'd find a whole bunch of Chevys in the junkyard, and you'd find the Chevy part that you needed, and it would bolt right onto your car. And now, of course, cars are just they're made by 3D printers. They're basically computers with wheels. Yeah, they're just, they're all injection molded and none of them, you know, <clears throat> they're not really like fixable in the same way. Uh, but there are enough people that, I mean, when I was the hour and a half I spent walking around the rainy junkyard looking for the particular part I was looking for, there were a dozen other people out there. And, you know, you bring your own tools to the junkyard. Is the mm-hmm. thing. And so <clears throat> a bunch of people walking around with their toolkits. And they're they're taking the trim off of the door of the uh, off of the passenger side door of a Ford Aerostar, or they're you know they're they're trying to figure out how to dismantle the air conditioning hoses from a from a Caprice Classic, and people still enough people doing that kind of work that there's um, that there's still cause for uh, there are a lot fewer junkyards than there were I think. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time in them when I was young because I I was trying to customize my car or whatever. I mean, if you if you own the land, it's got to be a pretty good deal. It's like a parking lot, right? I mean, like you're, you, it's not going to cost you that much to have it. Right. And over time, somebody will eventually get the uh, the manifold uh, cover case off that Chevy. Exactly, and then when the car has been completely stripped, then you crush it and then sell it for the scrap metal value so when you see those semi trucks driving down the road with with uh, 25 squished cars on the back Mm -hmm. they're going from a junkyard to a metal yard and they're going to circle of life that's right circle of life that's right so wandering around i am i was looking for a specific part but as i but i got i got caught up in the in the lives of some of these cars where it was just like oh if that car could talk i mean that car can talk because you, all you have to do is look at it, and it's telling you so much about itself and what it's seen, the miles it's traveled, literally and figuratively. So it, what it made me want to do is go back to the junkyard. I hadn't been to one in a long time. I was looking for a specific part, but really I don't, I don't want to need 
any one part. I want to go there and find the part I didn't know I needed. Mm. You know? Mm. <clears throat> it's like a Joseph Campbell thing. Mm. You're, you're on a, a, a Bildungsroman, except you're not young. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like a young man's journey. That's right. You, don't, you may not know what your, what your grill cup is, but you want the one that a carpenter would use. That's exactly it. You want to you find a carpenter. There, you want to find a carpenter's cup. You walk around. I mean, the first thing you have to do is have faith th- that you step into the abyss and that the, that you're not going to fall. Hmm. But I mean, I I know a lot about one, one of the things about a junkyard is for it to be useful for you at all. You have to have a pretty good knowledge of what um, what all cars look like such that you can see them in their completely dismantled state wrecked and picked over and still be able to tell what kind it is right because if you're in there looking for a part from a nissan say yeah you got to start make model year Mm -hmm. You got to be able to look across a field strewn with junk cars where all the doors have been taken off and the hoods are up and the, the glass is all broken and the roofs are crushed. And you have to be able to, to, you know, use your encyclopedia of, of cues to say like, because I, for instance, I'm, I'm looking for a Chevy truck, Chevy truck from Mm. a certain era, GMC Uh truck from a certain era. Well, there are a lot of trucks in a junkyard, but if you don't know the difference between a Ford and a Chevy, you're going to spend all afternoon walking all the way over to a Ford. What are you going to do? Try and look for the logo? The logo's long gone. Give me a break. That truck, that truck rolled, off, rolled off the Pacific Coast Highway and down a hill and sat in the, you know, sat in the tide pool for four years and got towed out. You better be able to tell that's a Ford well, let's 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 say the obvious. It, it's probably not too cool to be using your iPhone a lot at the junkyard. Well, yeah, no, Do, it you, you probably cool. look a little bit like a dingling. If you're certainly, if you're like, what is this car? Yeah, and <laughs> and and also, <clears throat> one of the rules of the junkyard is when when a body meets a body coming through the rye, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't really acknowledge the other person. Mm, catch her in the shivy. Exactly, because you are. You are fucking scavengers uh-huh. in a boneyard. Oh, I see. It's, it's sort of like a men's room. You, yeah. keep, you keep your own counsel. Yeah, you're not like, hey, pal. I'm, there to, be, I'm there to make friends. Yeah, what are you looking for? Uh-huh. Like, no. <laughs> Is this car metric or imperial? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. You don't ask to borrow somebody's tools. Mm-mm. You don't even. This is one of the few areas where <laughs> where uh, where people are going about their business such that you don't even nod and make eye contact. If you see, if you come upon somebody out there, it's it is um, it's already it's basically already two steps toward the apocalypse. So, so your first concern is if you meet somebody in one of those places, you have to assume that they want your water. Do not become addicted to water. <laughs> right? <laughs> Do not become addicted to water. It makes you weak. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Once again. Um, <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree, code for easy online payments. To learn more right now, please visit braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. 
If you're a mobile app developer, and I know many of you out there are, please do check out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution that is used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Some pretty big hitters there. Braintree has made the payment experience in these apps seamless and magical. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. And Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is helping solve the problem of mobile card abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. you got to check this out for yourselves. Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution. And that means support for all the payment types that your customers might want. You can start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo cards, and more, all with a single integration across all platforms with superior fraud protection, customer service, and mm-hmm, fast payouts, buddy. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, please go to braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Braintree for taking the pain out of mobile payments and for supporting Roderick on the lawn. Just a quick side note, and I should write this down. <clears throat> I know you got a lot of projects on your plate right now, but another one would be just put out the fucking rule book for all the stuff that a lot of people don't know about. You could do it and like anonymously, maybe, oh, but like boy. some kind of a book. Like you don't want to even this, the rules we're not even allowed to talk about. And I'm just here to tell you, I didn't even know Junkyard had rules like that. Oh yeah, you could so you could rules. save me so much indignity. Somebody from Vice Magazine wrote me not very long ago, and they said, would you write a book about, or write an article at least? They know how to write there? <laughs> well, that's why they're asking me. <laughs> would you write a, an article about uh, all the rules that people should know before they act like citizen journalists uh, videotaping uh, police brutality or whatever? Hmm. Because I had made some comments over the years to the effect of, uh, to the effect that people that such a such a volume needs to be widely disseminated because people's uh, citizen journalism is being somewhat hamstrung by the fact that they don't understand portrait mode Ugh. and they don't understand <sighs> not to say fuck 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 <laughs> these are good rules <laughs> while they are videotaping something. John you you do not know how much intestinal fortitude it takes for me Every day to not walk up to people, grab their hand, and turn it 90 degrees. I'm like, yeah. do, do, you have, do you have a different shaped TV than I do? Do you yeah. know what that's going to look like? You know what that's gonna, do you have any idea what this is? I know people are taller than wide generally, but just do, do me a favor and hold it sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a basic rule. I mean, that when that, uh, when that uh, city in China exploded, uh, there was some amazing footage of it once again. Taken in stand-up camera mode, <laughs> and and you're like, oh my god, this is like this is an incredible moment. You are watching an entire city explode, and no one has taught you how to hold your it's, freaking it's, camera. Yeah, you know, you know, it's also just so incredibly dorky to watch. Where you just watch, it's painful to watch because you're going like, ugh. It, it's almost like their thumb is over part of the lens. Yeah. yeah. So and the and the the person from Vice was very nice and uh, and actually like seemed like a really kind of smart editor guy and was like, hey, you know, do you want to write this or do you want to collaborate on it? And I was like, I do want to collaborate on it with you. I think that would be really that would be really useful. It would be good for people. We should collaborate on a guide, a citizen's guide to uh, to 
you know, uh, to be a um, amateur journalist. Oh, and so wow. then, especially I, especially with the camera, because I, I I could think of like about probably half a dozen things I wish everybody knew about using the camera on their phone. That could make but, so much of a difference. Well, and the other thing is like, don't pinch zoom in. No. And the, well, don't ever, first of all. Move all, the, the, I think the very first thing almost everybody needs to know is like, and you see this in like when the first time dad gets a camera in the 80s, <laughs> it's like, do not do a bunch of like, don't treat it like Vine. Don't do all these like three second shots. Don't, don't do short shots. Don't move the camera. Keep the camera in one place. You think you need to move, you move your eyes. Don't move the camera. Yeah, yeah. Put, turn the camera on, put it sideways, and then walk as close to the action as you can. Stay quiet. And like if you're gonna move, or if you're gonna if you if you need to move to get get a better view of it, slow movements. But not with the you know, move your body, not the not the don't don't wiggle the camera. There's so many things to say. And, and, and setting and also, aside all that, would you also go into the stuff like like know your rights type stuff? Well, absolutely. You have to talk about that stuff. But and, and all of that is part and parcel of saying, like, what is interesting? The, you know, that's another thing that a citizen journalist needs to think about. What is interesting about this? And because so often you see a, you see a, some footage where the action that they think is interesting is completed and they they stop filming but that wasn't the end of what's interesting about it or that wasn't you know that wasn't actually the end of the scene that oh, was the, right cuz like the instantiating event or the the action is just one part of it and especially in police cases what happens next could be even more important exactly i mean in terms right? of like what happens with the actual story if you're watching a confrontation and then somebody gets shot the end is not that the person got shot the end is like what happens in the next 10 minutes that's the whole case so all of that and so the the person from vice was awesome sent me a long email with their thoughts and their construction of it and and what what you know how they imagined it and then i just completely just dropped the ball and didn't didn't reply <laughs> which i feel terrible about and i should maybe go find that and and dig that up because i have so much to say on the topic but I also have this show about the junkyard that I'm working on. I mean, there's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many rules. I mean, the volumes. If it would just, it would, it could be kind of like the 33 and a third series of little books. I was, I was thinking something similar. Yeah, it's it's bigger than a pamphlet, but uh, but but shorter than a novel. Yeah, where and it's just a series of series of rule books: how to behave at the junkyard, how to behave backstage at a concert where you are not actually a friend of anybody in the band, but somehow got backstage. Boy, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I think something like this could be super interesting. I'm thinking of a book. I've mentioned this book before, but it's a book that I adored in uh, in college. Because, you know, I'm an almanac guy. I'm a book of lists guy. I love these books of, of trivia and rules of thumb and all those kinds of things. Actually, there's a wonderful series of books called Rules of Thumb. That were just fantastic. Hmm. Um, like, you know, you can calculate how long you're going to wait in line at the bank, take the number of people times 3.5 or whatever, like how to pick a line, all that kinds of stuff. Um, but there's a book called The Modern Man's Guide to Life, which is not quite as mooky as it sounds. But hmm. it was full of advice that people had written into this guy about how to do different stuff. And, and none of them would achieve, you know, would rise to the level of needing a chapter, but they would be collected into like, you know, th- th- different different kinds of like, you know, how to – 
how to not look like a doofus in a restaurant, like how to do all this different stuff, you know, how to how to basically fix your car, this kind of stuff. I think something like that, John Roderick's Guide to Life, it's failing a better title, could be extremely useful. Fuck yes, there's just so much start, to know. Just start writing it down. Write down the kinds of things you want to collect and then start, uh, you know, gleaning the tips. Mm. <laughs> glean the tips. <laughs> Got to glean the tips. You also, know, how, on podcasts, avoid saying things like gleaning the tips. How do you... Uh, how do you get a tow truck driver in Missouri to let you ride in the cab? Okay. It could be right? even better if it was, if it was just extremely specific to you. <laughs> how do you uh, – I mean, there's so much. How to help Gary remember that you've met. Yeah. How do you get uh, – if you, if you are at a Mayan ruin and you want to go into the part that's, that's fenced off – who do you talk to? Yeah, you you've, you've taught me a lot of these things. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorites, I can't do this, but I love that you can do this, is, uh, is your whole thing of like, you, you know, if you want to walk in somewhere, walk in like you own the place. Yeah. Nobody, nobody will hassle you. You just walk nope. right in. No, they assume you own the place. And then this also gives you lots of opportunities to tell anecdotes. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, the thing, of course, when you're young is that one of the best anecdotes is getting thrown out of a place. Uh, when you get a little bit older, it's, you, you, you know, it's, it's a lot harder for me to get thrown out of a place now because I kind of do look like I should own the place and to get unceremoniously booted out of a place that you look like you should own. Um, it just, you know, I have to dust off my hat cause the, you know, the guy th- throw you out and then throw your hat in the street yeah, dust off. It's your not really official say, until they're throwing your hat in the dust. Yeah, I beg your pardon, sir. <laughs> I am as God made me, sir. So, uh, and then you uh, you went to dim sum, and then I we had a we had our our, our regular dim summit, uh, where it was decided. Uh, it this was is decided, you, you you and Jason. Jason and I meet with two other friends, Cal McAllister, who owns an advertising agency called. The Wegsley School for Girls, uh-huh. and Matt Dresner, who owns an advertising slash PR agency called oh, Mammoth. This is your extended marketing team. I've been hearing about. This is the team. Is this where you get all the terrible ideas for stuff you should be doing? This is the team, and the team's decision today. Please was, stop meeting with these people. <laughs> the, de- the decision of the team today was. You never now- seem like more of an old man than when you've been talking. It's people. I hear. Uh, I hear. There's uh, some kind of a way I might be able to uh, promote my Twitter feed. <laughs> they're, they're my advertising agency friends, and they're trying to. They're trying to expand my social media reach. Oh sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the decision was: listen, we should just figure out how to be multimillionaires. And the uh, and the best anecdote was uh, Cal, one of uh, one of his close friends from high school, is the king of the. Yard pool, king of the yard pool. Yeah, if you want a if you want a little pond in your yard, <laughs> he started out. This guy started out putting ponds in people's yards, like a lot of people, like a lot of pond guys start out. Oh, you right? get your residential little consumer ponds. Yeah, you start out probably working for a guy that's installing ponds, and then you 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 build up a little nest egg, and then you start your own pond installation company. But what this guy figured out was, you know, when he went, in the words of Mark Twain, when there's a gold rush, you sell pickaxes, <laughs> right? So he's out there putting in ponds, and he's looking up the chain at the guy who's making the ponds, who's making, oh. 
the pond equipment, and he says, "This guy is not this. You know, this guy's not moving refrigerators. He's not installing color TVs. Mm-mm. That's oh, the way you do it. That's the way you do it. He's mm-hmm. sitting behind the counter somewhere fulfilling pond part orders, and so." This friend of Cal McAllister's, he systematizes the pond business. Oh, like vertical integration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now he's not installing 500 ponds in a summer. He's selling 50,000 ponds. Mm. 50,000 ponds all across America to people. All the pond people have to go through. He, he moved up the pond food chain. That's right. He became, the, he became pond man. Mm. <laughs> and so... And I have a friend in I have a friend in Seattle who figured this out too. We legalized weed here, uh-huh. and everybody was going. You know, everybody was like, "Oh shit! I better got I gotta get a warehouse. I gotta start growing weed. I gotta start selling weed. I gotta get in this weed business. Get in on the ground floor." Uh-huh. But I've got a pal who went to China and figured out the weed appliance. The weed delivery appliance that was going to be the uh, industry standard. And then he cornered the market on the weed delivery appliance. So he never has to touch a weed. You're talking about like for, for a consumer to get it into their system? Yeah, I'm talking about a, 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 the vaping oh, right. gear right. That, the, that, would, that the weed people are going to put the weed into. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to grow anything. That's right. It's some kind of, you know, it's some kind of like... Um, yeah, it's yeah. Basic. It's like, uh, it looks like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's where you get the more intensified. You're not like really sucking on it. Like there's a whole, what are they, there's a name for this. It's like vaping, but for weed. What do they call it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's some kind of jab of the hut technology. Yeah, I've seen people using them. I remember when they were talking about what, whether there should be legal weed, I guess maybe in the early 2000s, there was this one go-to woman they would always interview. In mm-hmm. California, and if you imagine like uh, like the we, plastic, we don't, ba- we don't call them go tos anymore. No, sorry, <laughs> it's from another time. But you know, like a big bag that your New York Times Sunday New York Times comes in. Yeah, and, uh, she. It looked like she was doing something with filling that bag with smoke, and then and it was really disturbing to watch her use it. Hmm. But 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 then you get you get a big hit of the weed. Yeah, that might be. You might be. That might be something else. That might that might be. Um, you know, we used to cut the bottom off of a milk carton and stick it in a sink full of water. I, I used to. Time was I can make a bong out of anything or a pipe at least. Boy, oh, we used to, it used to be a hobby of ours. You can make a pipe out of pretty much anything. And out of, out of like things from McDonald's that children would get as toys. What the hell good is that skill now? I know, I know. Tears and rain. So this guy goes, and part of his strategy though is not just that he doesn't want to be pushing weed. He also he wants to go and get exclusive deals with the, if I could say, Chinese makers of the weed delivery system. Exactly. Right? So the so idea is that no, nobody else can get exclusive deal. He's got the, he's got the Northwest. He's got the PNW district locked in. Well, yeah, he's pioneered the technology. So all these guys that are like, oh man, I sold a thousand weeds. Yeah, he's like, I sold a hundred thousand weed pellets or weed uh, weed you know pressurized weed rods, <laughs> and. I mean, it's money in the bank, this guy. Mm-hmm. And he never, touch, he never has to touch a weed, although I think he likes it. But I had a friend in college whose big idea was he was going to make bongs out of chew cans. Out of like snuff? Like out of uh, like, a, like a skull can? So at the time, we were all, I don't know about, I don't know about y'all down, yeah. at, down in, at the new college in Florida. Yeah. But uh, up in the Northwest, we were all chewing tobacco all the time. Dipping. 
We were dipping snuff, yeah. Uh-huh. And so we all had uh, we all had Copenhagen cans in our back pockets, creating very appealing rings in our jeans. And my friend, uh, he took a chew can, and he made a he made a hole in one side uh, on the on the rim on the edge, right? A hole, and then ninety degrees around the circle, he made another hole, and then he had a a stem with a bowl that fit inside one of the holes. <laughs> Sounds Appalachian. It's super good. And then if you filled the chew can one third full of water, oh god, and then put the lid on it, it would it was it was watertight. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the can. At, uh, at an angle and put your mouth over the one hole and the bowl is in the other hole and it's a fully functional bong. If the, if, and, uh, and he, and he honestly was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to, I'm going to, because then well, the thing is when you, when you want to break it down, you just dump the water out, take the stem out, stick it in the chew can mm. and stick the chew can in your chew can circle in your jeans. Chew can Sam. And you're Chukan Sam. It should, if he had called it Chukan Sam, <laughs> he would be a millionaire. Chukan Sam. Come on. This is, uh, I just sent oh. you a link. This idea has been colonized. What? I just looked, looked up dip can bong. <laughs> oh, my God. If, if I see a picture of my friend, I am going to lose my shit. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of variants here. Still not entirely sure why you would want to do this. But I don't know if you not sure why you would want to do it because the thing is, then that's American ingenuity at the heart of it. It's, it's Etsy for weed. Yeah, the bong is just the bong is with you. Oh my god, chew can bong. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> chew can. Oh wow. Look, look, at, look at that one. There. Look at that handsome one. It looks like it runs USB. Well, this guy's got a. Uh, this guy's got some kind of holster for it. Yeah, it looks like he's got. Uh, I guess that goes in your utilikilt. Oh, well, oh, look, it's camouflaged, John, so people won't be able to see it. So this is called, oh, it's called the AK Files. I thought it was, that meant the Alaska Files, but then I click on it, and it's a, it's a website for people who have AK-47s. Oh, I see. Here's one made and, out of a Heinz ketchup bottle? Is that right? My goodness, these are some strange images, John. So this guy, so he's a heavyset guy. He's blacked out his eyes. He's cradling an AK-47. He's wearing... A stripy sort of French or Russian commando shirt, mm-hmm. and I gotta, I gotta he's got. See this. He's got a chew can holster, <laughs> a t- and he's ca- he's calling it a tactical. Oh, I see AK files. I see. Yeah, yeah. Tactical yeah. tobacco pouch. Oh, Set- I see. That's I get it. It's that's it's got uh, it's got uh, no no don't call it Velcro anymore. It's got the. Uh, a cloven hitch or whatever it's called. Yeah, the loop ta- and loop and hook and loop. Hook and loop. Tactical hook and loop. Oh, look at that. Boy, there's a lot. This, this is a richer subculture than I realized. I instinctively don't like that guy just because, come on. Yeah. Yeah, there's just, there's something at the level, whatever it is that a person enjoys, there's always the desire to complicate it. Mm, it's, well, like, it's, like, it's like drinking games. Smoking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but even like with drinking games where it's like, really, like you got to have a game to drink. Yeah. You know, in this case, you, you got to have a, you got to have a pouch for everything. Some people love to be organized. Yeah, people are bored. Yeah, I, you know, you know. In all honesty, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay. Last night, I was cleaning, I was cleaning a room in my house that hadn't been cleaned in a long time, and I was having some, I was getting some help, 
I was getting some help cleaning the room because I was not able to do it myself. Because this was the room of stories. Mm, oh, 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 my goodness. Yeah. And, <sighs> and so the room of stories, it's very hard for me to clean it. I can clean other rooms in the house, but the room of stories, it's hard because you, everything you pick up has a very long story attached to it. And I don't want to throw it away because then you throw the story away. But anytime I ha- ask somebody to help me, they end up sitting on the floor while I tell them stories about things. And the room doesn't get cleaned. Yeah. And so I had, a, I had a, a friend helping me clean the room. And she was very unsympathetic. Which is what was needed. Yeah. But I had to say to her, like, listen, you have to be somewhat sympathetic. Because, you know, these stories, uh, they, they all matter. And at one point she picked up a pouch, which was a, ve- a tactical Velcro hook and hook and bead mm-hmm. pouch, which I actually got from you. Oh, is it the one with the flag on it? Nope. It's a pouch that was designed to go on the strap of a messenger bag. Right. So already it's it's like bike messenger connected. And it, I believe it was for an iPod or maybe an early iteration of a phone. Yeah, it was. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what it's for. <clears throat> it was for you could put your candy bar phone in this Velcro holder and it had the, uh, the Velcro would, would then go around your, your Timbuktu strap. That's right. It so was you could Tim- access, access your phone. It was Timbuktu branded. And she said, what is this? Does this, does this fit your phone? And I was like, no. She said, oh, does it, but that's got to be good for something. She's, well, this, that's exactly what I said. And she said, does it fit any item that you currently have? And I said, no, 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 but it's that, that's not what matters. It's a, it's a perfectly great little pouch. You could put matches in it. You, see, if I could say, and not, nothing, I don't, I'm not sure who you're talking about here, but whoever that person is, they're not understanding. That may have been designed to have a Nokia phone in it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you've got to put any fucking Nokia phone in there. No. There, could, there, could be, there could be 1,500 paper clips in there. You could put a you chicken could put, and bone. You could put in popcorn. You could put popcorn in there. Thank you. You could put popcorn in there. That is not a thing I thought of. Tactical but popcorn holder. But I, I should have said that. You could put a bunch of short pens. Oh, you could. You could. You could have a, uh, a handful of space pens. A handful of space pens. <laughs> right. You could, yeah, what if you're you going could, to a conference, you could have space pens made that you give out to people. And you're saying to yourself, "Oh, oh, I don't want to have to dig it in my bag every time I want to give away a pen." No, what I am got I a pouch do? for that. I have a pouch for that. You right could put here hand sanitizer. You could put hand sanitizer in there. You could fill it with ha- you could fill it with uh with like a uh, conditioner. <laughs> right? You could put coffee beans in there. Pepper, There's so pepper many spray. <laughs> so so I so I'm fighting her on this Timbuktu uh, strap, uh, tactical strap holder, uh, like you know a toothpick bindle holder. <laughs> and she said she gave me the look, the stern look, the unsympathetic look, and she said, "Seriously, you're going to fight me over this thing." And I, and I was like, no. And she said, good. And she put it in the go-to-the-thrift-store bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. I mean, that is a... I'm, I'm, I agree, but seriously, that is a perfectly good tactical pouch. And then the next thing she held up was a piece of green string. And... It was a, it's a beautiful piece of green string that I have been 
keeping around because I knew it was a special piece of string and I knew that it was going to be useful. I hadn't yet figured out how it was going to be useful, but it was definitely going to be useful. And I realized as she was holding it up that I had been carrying it with me for 23 years. And that every time I pulled it out of something, I was like, oh, this is killer string. It was about one foot long. Mm-hmm. And then, and the thing is, it's just a piece of string. So I would move it whenever I would be cleaning out an earlier box. I would just move the string to the new box because it seemed crazy to throw away this incredible one foot length of string. And she was like, and again, she gave me the like, seriously, this? Yeah. I mean, before I even protested, she was like, what is this even? In, in both of these cases, also, there's not particular stories associated with these, but, but there is, to you, obvious utility in these. Massive potential, utility. Potential, potential utility. Potential utility. There was always going to be a moment when I was like, God, I, you know what I need? One foot of really awesome green string. Or six inches twice. Or six inches twice of green string. Mm-hmm. But, but string, it has, to be spe- it has to be string that has a kind of specialness, a, ma- a magnitude. You could, um, you could wrap a tiny gift for a mouse. Well, that is exactly one of the things that I thought of. <laughs> but in any case, she's holding up the string, and I, I, so I had already acquiesced to the Timbuktu pouch going in the thrift store thing. But the string was a bridge too far, and I took the string, <laughs> and You're I defending tied, string saving. I tied it around my wrist, <laughs> wrapped it around twice, <laughs> tied it with a jaunty knot, and I said, "Look, it is now. It is decorative." And I'm not somebody who wears a lot of adornment. But now I have, so today, I have this spectacular, I think, green sort of rope wrists. Uh, 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 it's like a personal Kabbalah thing. Like, yeah, like, one exactly. of those, like a Madonna bracelet. Exactly. Well, well. Isn't she the one who made the Kabbalah bracelet popular a few years See, ago? Everybody's wearing string. This is the problem. The next thing that Jason Finn says to me after he notices that I'm wearing a T-shirt <laughs> is he says, what's with the Coldplay bracelet? <laughs> Ooh. And I'm like, I'm, I'm fucking getting it from all sides here. I, I, this string has been with me for 23 years, and now I'm rocking it, I think, pretty well. I think it's like... It's pretty jazzy. See, but the thing is, you're like somebody, like, think about all the things that you, just in this visit of ours alone, talking about being able to tell the stories and feel the past of the cars, right? Mm-hmm. You, you think about the way that those uh, startups out there are, are pulling the memories out of old men's clothes. You look at a string and you see a story. You're like somebody in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like, you're seeing stuff that other people can't see. And it's not because you're hallucinating. It's because they, uh, they, they, they don't have the sensitivity to the vibrations that you do. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. See what, right. you see what these objects are putting out there, and they're all just walking past going, what, really, string? The thing and you're is, like, you, yeah, string. They do not make string like this anymore. If you, went out, if you went to a store that said just, if it was called just string. <laughs> There's probably a store in Portland. I bet you there is. And, well, or it's, uh, that's the type of story that's... called stringing, uh, stringing along, positively, <laughs> positively string, uh, strung so out. strung out. <laughs> and they have artisanal string. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the, also the type of story that would be on the main street of an otherwise failing town. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Right? Like, it, like it would be inside the, inside the former Tandy Radio Shack. There'd be a place called, like, Strings and Things. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd go in there and it's every kind of string. Maybe 
the maybe the gal and I'm and I'm pretty sure it's a gal who's running <laughs> strings and things in downtown uh, just full, Ab- of, full of cats. Downtown Aberdeen. <laughs> the cats Washington. are batting the string. Yeah. I bet you if I went in there with this string and said, "Can you duplicate this string?" She would first of all she would take a moment and be like, She'd wow, put on a loop. That's incredible <laughs> like she, string. She'd get a little jeweler's loop. Yeah, she'd get it out and she'd be like, that's incredible. I haven't seen string like that since the 80s. Replicating she, this string, it, it is not possible. <laughs> she would go back in the back and she'd bring some string out. <laughs> You're crashing. <laughs> she'd be, yeah, that's right. She'd be back there for 20 minutes. She'd come out and she'd have a really apologetic look on her face and she'd say, this is as close as I can get. But it just wouldn't have the heft. It's just th- three inches of light green jute. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have the. It wouldn't have the waft, or the the or the wove. Mm. And and we would both agree. No, in fact, that isn't it. And I would walk out of there with the string that I have, the string that I came in with. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, "That's right. My my two my 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 foot foot and it's basically a foot. Mm-hmm. Twelve inches of great string." And uh, and no one can no one can take it from. I'm me. so glad you saved it. I did get I did I did allow for a lot of things to get thrown away though. What what can let me ask? What what were some like you know pound for pound? What were some relatively easy ones to let go of? And was there anything where you were like, Ugh, I'm glad somebody brought it up? Well, there are two two things stick out. Uh, one of them was about 15 years ago. I took a I took a correspondence geology course. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And the way that you, the way that you did the course was you, you know, you did your homework, mailed it in to the professor, and the professor corrected it and mailed it back to you. You're kidding me. We said correspondence course, but you, really, you literally sent it in the mail? Ma- mailed it in, uh, in an envelope. Oh, my I mean, God. It was, it was a long time ago. And so I... I carried on this correspondence course and I really enjoyed the studying and I enjoyed the geology and I enjoyed the homework. But when, and, and the thing was that, that you would send the, the, uh, the homework in and also send in a self-addressed stamped envelope. So the professor would send the, the homework back in an, uh, an envelope which had your handwriting on it. I remember that used to always feel so weird to get a letter in my own handwriting. Yeah. Self-addressed, stamped Especially envelope. when you can't remember what it was for. Right. Even weirder, right? When they're gone for a long time and then you're like... You, know, you don't get the self-addressed stamped envelope thing so much anymore. But, but that used to be a thing. If you wanted free stuff, you'd say, oh, we'll send you some stickers or get our catalog or something like that. Or, you know, and it used to be so weird to get mail and it was like in a folded up envelope with your own handwriting on it. It felt yeah. super creepy. Yep. So I got all the homework assignments back, but I never opened... Uh, the envelopes. And now now that I've said it a couple of times, I don't know whether to pronounce it envelope or envelope. I like envelope. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with envelope from mm-hmm. here on out. They were envelopes to begin with, but now they're envelopes. So, but I, but I enjoyed the class so much that it wasn't like I wanted to throw them away. I just didn't, I, I didn't care what, I didn't care about the grade. I didn't care about the, you know, I just never opened them, but I kept them. So I had 10 or 12 pretty thick envelopes in my own handwriting that I knew had an entire class of geology in it. And I couldn't, and now it was 15 years old. I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. 
And my unsentimental friend was like, again, I mean, she really only needed one look, which was, seriously? See, just, that, it's, it's sort of like not cleaning out your couch all the way. You kind of yeah. want to leave something, though. So, please, please tell me you opened at least one of them. So I, so, so I was like, all right. And the thing is, my job at, the, at, this, uh, at this point in the cleaning had become just sit in a chair and things end up in my lap. And I'm telling the story of them and she's ignoring me and, and, you know, and figuring stuff out. But so I opened up the first one. And here's this geology homework from 15 years ago. And there's red teacher marks all over it. From a teacher that I had never met, saying, "Great job! Really interesting. Re, you know, really interesting uh, uh, idea, or whatever." Because I, you know, it was like I was I was expanding on. It wasn't just like, "Is this schist or what?" It was like I was talking about uh, geological ideas. And so then I opened another one, and here are all these red marks from this teacher where she's like. John, I really thought that this was, you know, great job. And this is, you know, and here, here are a couple of more things to think about. And so then I'm opening all the envelopes. And I had been having this whole conversation with this teacher, but I wasn't aware of it because I'd never opened the envelopes. And by the end of the class, she was writing all these long red remarks like, you know, what a pleasure having you in the class. You know, this you did, you know, exceptional work throughout. And this is clearly an A paper at every level. And... And, the, you know, and, and at one point she was like, I'm from Alaska, too, and started. Oh, my God, you never even knew. Never knew. <gasps> and this had just been sort of sitting there on my, uh, you know, on uh, really actually on top of a dresser in the room of stories for all this time. And, uh, you know, and now I feel like, God, I should look her up. Uh we had a, we had a, a really great conversation going, and I was communicating exclusively in geology homework, but she was you know sending me all this sort of like personal chatty professor stuff. Oh my goodness! And uh, and it was really it was pretty heavy. And so I got to the last assignment, which was the final paper, which I barely remember writing. It's like a 15-page paper on the island of Santorini, and it's covered in her remarks. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I can throw away all of these, um, you know, all of these worksheets and all of these maps and all of this, all of this colored pencil stuff. I can throw it all away, but I'm not going to be able to throw away this final paper with all of these personable remarks on it and so my unsentimental friend had provided for me by this time a multi pocket file folder which the truly un un uh, callable items could could go in and be safely stored and so it found it found its own slot in the bag mm. you feel good about that I think I can live with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like I, you know, I, 12 envelopes gone, but the, but the report got saved. Mm. And the string. Glad, glad, glad you got that string. And the string got saved. Now, the, the, 
the final thing that I'm 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 really torn about. Do you have time for this? Yeah. Do you have somewhere else to be? Mm-mm. In fifth grade, I liked downhill skiing quite a bit. And my dad liked to downhill ski. And the two of us were, that we bonded a lot over downhill skiing. And in fifth grade, there was some sort of pottery uh, module that came through our class where we were all making, we were too old to make handprints in a circle of clay. We were, we were to the next level to make pencil holders or something. Do you remember making anything in the pottery? Yeah, I remember module? making ashtrays. <clears throat> ashtrays. You can make ashtrays and later on you make a pipe when you're in college. Exactly. Okay. So I'm sure a lot of my friends... <laughs> it, all, making, it all comes back to marijuana. It does. It does. Eventually you're going to make a bong. But no, it's funny. I mean, like there was a lot... It's funny how much ashtray making there was when we were kids. Yeah, it's just something was. you made, whether Sunday school or, or regular school or, or whatever. If, if you've gotten past hand and footprints and you maybe weren't up to pencil holder, you could at least make a rudimentary uh, place for uh, your mom and dad to put their Winstons. Yeah, and, and nobody in my family smoked by the time I was in fifth grade, and so I had, no, I had no ashtray to make. And so what I made was a little, um, not little, actually. It's about the size of a paperback book. And I wrote the word ski in clay on a clay square and I painted it and I fired it and I gave it to my dad oh. and my dad put it up on the top of his kitchen cupboard and it was there and it moved with him and it went with him all the way everywhere he went and then when he died, I inherited it again. And I put it in the room of stories up on, a, on the top of a shelf. And so I'm cleaning the room of stories and my unsentimental friend picks this thing up. And without even batting an eye, cocks her arm as though to throw it. She's not even looking at me for approval. She cocks her arm to throw this thing in the uh, thrift store bag. And I was like, wait a minute. And I tell her the story. And, and she's just rolling her eyes. And she says, what good is it? And I was like, it had never occurred to me. It's not good for anything. And she was like, is it beautiful? And I looked at it for the first time. I had never really seen it before this moment. And I realized that it was a piece of shit. <laughs> that I had, and I was embarrassed. That in fifth grade, I mean, in fifth grade, there are children who can play the cello. There are children who have played the cello for the president of the United States of America. Yeah. In fifth grade. Spelling bee winners, jugglers, kids that have survived famines, and I made this little shite thing that's not even an ashtray? It's just a nothing. It's just a shite. And I, it's not even square. I didn't even, I didn't, I wasn't even careful enough to square the edges. It's like, <laughs> it's just a piece of shit. And I was astonished 
to discover that this thing that had been with me my whole life, it had always peered down at me from some top shelf somewhere, it was just a hunk of garbage. If, if it went into the thrift store bag, it would go to a thrift store and they would price <laughs> it at, at one cent. And it would sit there on the shelf until somebody knocked it off and it broke. Oh. And no one would mourn it. Mm. And yet, I could not allow it to go. And now what, what does that say, Merlin? I, I know that's, I don't know what to say. That's super complicated, and there's a lot of angles to that one. And the ending, uh, you on me with the ending. That was quite a twist at the end. Because it sounds like, as you looked at it, it had accumulated the value of being something your father had and hung on to through his life. But as you looked at it, you didn't feel like it was anything super special. I mean, he he put it up on top of the shelf because his son made it. and yeah. But he couldn't possibly have been proud because the first time he saw it, he must have looked at it and said, oh, shit, now I have to carry this with me. It's not useful. It's not decorative. It's, right. just, it's just shit. It's just a piece of garbage. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't want to overcomplicate this. So is it gone? Well, no. I, I, so I put it – so that was one of the few things that got put into the, into the limbo state, into the into – the, between universes place, which is like balanced on the corner of a table. Everyone who walks into the room has to look around and say, wow, the room looks great. You cleaned up the room of stories. Amazing. And then their eyes will fall upon this ski sign. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> I have exactly one thought on this. This is not to try – as much as just because I want to share this story, but uh, I, this is not to persuade you to keep it because it sounds like you probably don't need to. Maybe you could take a photo of it and that would be enough. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's what I did with a lot of my stuff that I had trouble getting rid of during one of our big purges was I would photograph anything I wanted to keep a memory of. But <clears throat> I have to say, excuse me, that one aspect of this that's complicated is that the fact that it's fucked up and ugly and old and stupid becomes part of the charm to mm-hmm. me. And... Uh, uh, I, you know, you're a, you know, and th- just because you were were shitty at it doesn't make it uh, not valuable on its own. And I only mention this because of this one one time when I was, I don't know, maybe probably four or five. It's whenever I was still playing with Play-Doh and would have had a Disney related Play-Doh set. Mm-hmm. I made the world's shittiest Snow White out of a single piece of red Play-Doh for my grandmother. <laughs> It was super ugly and super dumb, but all, I mean, and it took me what? Who cares? I was a little kid. I, I, you know, it's just it was just a dumb thing. I made it. I was at their house. I made this. I gave it to her. She was thrilled with it, and she put it on the mantle. Right. So this is probably about maybe maybe 1971 or two. Maybe she put it up there, and she kept it there, and it and it got old and stupid. Like Play-Doh is not made to be kept over a fireplace for many years, mm-hmm. and it got kind of whitish. And over the years, she had to insert needles in it to like make it hold the head on and it was it was just the most ugly and dreadful crumbling thing you'd ever seen in your life and of course by the time she passed away in 1987 it was it was truly awful but you know at that point it had been up there for whatever 15 years Mm -hmm. and uh yeah we did we threw it away but it was uh quite a moment for me to realize my grandmother had kept that since i was really young and as ugly and as stupid and as broken as it was 
it still made me remember her well. But I didn't feel like I needed to keep the broken Snow White, but it was a nice memory for me. So, you know, I think if you can let the ski thing go, let it go. But you can still appreciate just because you don't have that in your hand anymore doesn't mean that you don't appreciate your dad and the fact that he kept it because of you. I still yeah. think that's, that's a perfectly sane kind of sentimentality to have. It doesn't mean you have to keep every piece of that because you still have him in your heart, even if you don't have his ski on your shelf. Yeah. Yeah. My, you know, my dad didn't have very good taste either. He might've actually (laughs) thought it was good. (laughs) So many twists. (laughs) 